0: Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. Walked into the coffee shop. I found the guy that I was meeting. He wasn't much older than my own kids. I broke out my laptop. I showed him the file that I was working on and the trouble that I was having with this video editing. And he looked like a master chef at a hibachi grill. (laughs) Fingers flying everywhere. Things changing on the screen. And when he leaned back like two and a half minutes later, he had accomplished everything I'd been struggling with for... I don't know, a month. Yeah, he was operating at his genius, and I was frustrated. That's what I want to talk about in this episode of Leading Leaders. Stay tuned. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast, and I can tell you there have been more than one occasion in my life where I realized I was doing, usually at a budget necessity, the kind of work that, well, it has to be done. But it should be done by somebody other than me because there are a lot of other than me's who could do it a whole lot better. I can also tell you, in the world of leadership, that ability to recognize your own failures that's a weakness that goes way underestimated. There's a whole lot of people who are unwilling to say, yeah, somebody can do that better than me. Now, there are a lot of people who would say, I don't like doing that task. I'll hand it off. I'll delegate it. Not because somebody is necessarily better at it. I mean, they wouldn't be willing to admit that, but because they just don't like doing the task. I, my brain works really well around numbers. I just hate them. I I hate doing numbers. I hate spreadsheets. I hate calculations. I hate algorithms. I hate all of it. Unfortunately, my brain is very well adept at it. I can't tell you why. I can look at a spreadsheet and follow through the flow of it in just a few minutes. And if if I dare to dig into the details, which I hate to do, it is my least favorite thing in the world to do, I would rather mow the yard in the rain than to dig into a spreadsheet. But I have an uncanny natural eye to see things that are out of whack. A a column that's missing, a row that's missing, an explanation for, well, how did you come to that conclusion? I mean, is that an assumption or is that calculated somewhere? Can I click in that cell and see the formula and, and where you derived that number from? Or did you just type a number in the box? I don't know why my brain works that way. It just does. And I don't like it, but I can't undo it. So I deal with it. But if you were to say to me, hey, I would love for you to sit here behind this computer all day and stare at these numbers and like an actuary or a data analyst and give me the right results, I would rather pull my hair out one at a time with a tweezer than to sit there and do that. But sometimes when launching a new business or coaching a client, that becomes my role for a season, for a minute. I make it as short a minute as I can. But I also know there are a lot of people who have no eye for that at all. No desire to do it at all. They don't want to do the numbers. They don't know what numbers anybody cares about. And so they miss things. They generalize. They overgeneralize. They they just throw things against the wall like a teenager cooking spaghetti. That usually doesn't fly. When you've got investors or accountants who are looking at things in great detail and they want to know if you bought number two pencils versus mechanical pencils, how much money would that save at the end of the year? You're like, well, I I don't know. I haven't really thought of that. Well, you should have thought of that because the amount of attention to detail that you pay in the dollars that you spend is going to make a difference of whether or not we invest in you. Because... As a billionaire friend of mine once said, if you mind the pennies, the dollars will take care of themselves. That's a, that's a hard thing to deal with. But if you're working with a client who's trying to get an investment or you're working with your own investment or you're trying to grow to the next level, you should be paying close attention to those tiny details even when they seem like they don't matter when they're too much trouble. Or you should find someone on your team who loves that kind of work. It's also very common that leaders assume that the people around them think like them. It's not true. It's not true. I have clients who are empaths, and I have clients who are extremely detail-oriented. I have clients who do not want to stand in front of a crowd, but what they have to say is so important, the world needs to hear it. And coaching them all to perform as fish, well, that would be a failure on my part. It would also be a huge failure for them because I'm asking them to do what isn't natural for them, what they're not gifted in, what they're not, I don't want to say not competent at or capable of because they could be, it just wouldn't be in excellence because it's not their strongest ability. As a leadership coach, part of my role is to identify that in a team, to be able to look at a team and watch people as they perform and say, "Maybe, maybe you could consider using this person for that thing instead. We were helping a friend assemble a heater this last weekend, and as we're putting the bits and pieces together, we we got a step out of order. In fact, as we're putting it together, there was one layer that was shifted 90 degrees. And the only way to fix it was to either disassemble the whole thing or find, ready for this, the most recent area that the mistake compounded and disassemble it there. And so we were able, between the three of us, to find the place where we could take it apart, make the adjustment, without taking the whole thing apart. We didn't want to start over at ground zero. But there was one part that we had just recently installed that made it difficult to undo what we had to undo in order to do it. There's a couple of solutions. Take that part out, work around it, and put it back, or change the tools we were working with. And so we simply, instead of using six-inch screwdrivers to remove the screws that were in the way, we went to two-inch screwdrivers. And we were able to successfully disassemble at that place with the fewest amount of adjustments because we changed the tool that we were working with. Now, it turned out that those tiny little screwdrivers also gave us leverage to move something else that just needed to move a a fraction of an inch in order to make an adjustment that we needed to make. But see, if we tried only to work with the tools that we had, we could have beat on it with a hammer and scarred it all up or broken it. We could have tried to pry on it with a pry bar, but the little tiny two-inch screwdriver allowed us to do exactly what we needed to do. Now, what if we didn't have the tiny two-inch screwdriver? if we didn't have the right tool in the box. See, that's the challenge with a lot of teams is they don't know what tools they have in the box. They've never done a proper assessment of the characteristics, the the strengths, the weaknesses, the the passions and the frustrations of the people on their team. They hired them because their resume said, well, I can do that. Or they got voluntold into a position and now they're there and That doesn't mean they're good at it. They were just the first one who didn't step back when everybody else volunteered. But now that they're in the role, they don't want to give it up. They've already got the authority, the title, the position, the opportunity, the privilege. And even if somebody comes along that is much better qualified and and would even get paid for it because they're so much better at it, the volunteer is not going to give that role up. It's meant too much to them at this point. You're using the wrong tool in that job. You're trying to get an eight-inch screwdriver to do the job of a two-inch screwdriver. And that's hard when you're dealing with people because, well, screwdrivers don't have feelings. People do. They get emotional when you ask them to step down from a role or move them to another role. Even if financially it's a lateral role, the first question that's, that comes to mind of anyone is, what did I do wrong? Can I be that bad? What's wrong with me? It becomes an identity crisis. And the real challenge for a leader and a leadership coach is to be able to analyze that team and say, what are you really, really good at? I mean, if I I could just give you the opportunity to do what just lights you up, makes you happy, makes you ecstatic, if I could give you the chance to do that, what would it be? I I recently read a book, and this book was so well-written I read through this entire book in like a day and a half. Uh, This is, in case it's hard to see, it's called The Six Types of Working Genius by Patrick Lentioni, And it's a great allegory. Um, As you're going through it, it seems so real life that you're thinking, that's incredible. But when you get to the end, you realize the whole thing was an allegory, but it was well staged and well put together and, and very well written. And the observations and the wisdom, well, they're priceless. I just want to I'm to skip to the end here. I mean, I'm going all the way to the back. This is page 189. He says, it's rare, but it's worth taking an additional few minutes to review the descriptions of each type of genius, six working genius. Um, take a minute to review the descriptions. The best way to understand the report is to review one. So let's use this one as an example. So from the book, from the from the author, this is his area of working genius. Now again, you're going to have to get the book and study through. This is not a sales pitch. The book is not endorsed. This is my own evaluation, my own estimation, but I'm going to read to you right from page 189. He says, my working genius, your likely areas of working genius are invention and discernment. So here in a minute, that's gonna tell you what he's good at, but that's also gonna make you wonder, Is it, what is it he's not so good at? You are naturally gifted and derive energy from and joy from creating original and novel ideas and solution. Are you the kind of person that really gets a joy out of creating something new? I mean, like coming up with an idea that no one's ever thought of before, or at least a tweak on an idea that nobody's ever thought of before? You are naturally gifted at and derive energy and joy from, using your intuition and instincts to evaluate and assess ideas or plans. That's a pretty good description of a visionary leader, right? Working competencies. The areas of your working competencies are wonder and galvanizing wonder and galvanizing. Again, get the book if you really want to dig into this because he goes into great definitions and explanations and gives you some really good illustrative ideas from the allegory of what it means to galvanize. Here's what it says. You are capable of and don't mind pondering the possibilities of greater potential and opportunity in any given situation. That's the uh, wonder under galvanizing. You're capable of, and don't mind, rallying people and inspiring them to take action around a project, task, or idea. Again, if you think about a a leader, someone who operates in influence, nothing more, nothing less, but also is a visionary. They're looking forward to new ideas. They want to create ideas that nobody's operated in before. They want to do things that nobody has done before, but they also need to get people on board with it. That's kind of a good skill set to have right there, right? want to invent new ideas, to want to discern whether those ideas are good ideas, to be able to galvanize those ideas, getting other people to gather around them, and then to constantly wonder, how could it be improved upon? How could it be made better? That's a really good skill set. Now, when we're reading this, this is the report of a single individual. These are not just talents and skills that every leader should have. This is the natural bent of this individual. But let's go one one level further. Because in the report, it also talks about the frustrations. He says, Your likely areas of working frustration are tenacity and enablement. Under tenacity, you aren't naturally gifted at and or derive energy and joy from pushing projects and tasks through to completion to ensure that the desired results are achieved. Now, let me camp out right there for a moment. I would ask you if we were in a crowd to raise your hand if you've ever started a project that you just had absolute enthusiasm for as it started. The new idea came and you got everybody around it and everybody's like, yes, that's a brilliant idea. We all have to do that. And two weeks into the project, you're like, oh my gosh, are we still doing this? That would be uh, tenacity. <laughs> it, it is a gift. It is a natural bent for some people to want to get into that project and just stay at it until it's done. In fact, you might hear people who have tenacity leading a group where everybody else has kind of given up on the project. They might say things like, are we still beating this dead horse? That you're still on this project and everybody else has given up and moving on. Why won't you let this go? It's not going to work. And so if you have tenacity Without galvanizing, you may be the only person driving the project and nobody else cares. If you have tenacity, without wonder, you may not be asking the question, what can make it better? You just want to get it done because, well, this is the track that we're on and we're like an old train. We're going to stay on this track until we get to the end. By golly, whether it's good, bad, or otherwise, we're staying on this track. Politicians tend to get in that kind of rut, tenacity. Here's the last one. This is his working frustration. You aren't naturally gifted at and or derive energy and joy from providing others with encouragement and assistance for projects and ideas. Now, imagine yourself working for a boss, a leader, a team lead, a supervisor who never pats you on the back and says, great job. You did a really good job at that. That was an awesome project. I have to be honest and tell you, that's one of my challenges. Tenacity, I don't have a whole lot of challenge with. I do sometimes hang on to a project way too long. I was Before I even joined the Air Force, I remember having a a supervisor say to me, every time I give you a project to do, you make it way more than I, I gave you a task and you made it a project. I just wanted you to move that thing from there to there, and you have taken half the day to do it, and you've made it so much more. So tenacity has not been a problem. I I do sometimes stay on a task too long. Even when it's beating a dead horse, the project, the time, the season for that is over and done. I'm still hanging on to it. But I do also struggle with this enablement, this encouragement. I'm reminded frequently, and and it's a challenge. It's a personal challenge for me. I'm reminded frequently that the energy that I bring into a room, because when I'm on the stage or in front of a camera, energy is not a problem. I have a lot of energy to bring. I have a lot of energy. Sometimes, in fact, people will say, tone it down just a little bit. Bring it back. I've actually been reprimanded in the executive level when I was a vice president of a, a company because my energy intimidated some people in the room. I've been told with people who match my energy, uh, when the two of us were in a room, myself and a guy by the name of Chris, when I worked in Fortune 50 company, when we would have committee meetings on certain tasks, he and I would go at it, sometimes about spreadsheets, sometimes about sales processes, sometimes about people. And when we would go at it, we would leave the room and people were like, you two fight like a married couple. Yeah, but we get a lot done. Because we're just like two bulls in a china cabinet, we are going to bang it out until we get to the right solution. We both had tenacity. Neither one of us had enablement. And we were both very determined to get it done right. That can be an asset. But see, when you bring that kind of energy and people are like, whoa, 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 just, just whew, take a breath, calm down. I'm like, I'm just operating at my normal level. Here's the irony. Because I'm not a constant perpetual encourager, when I walk in the room and I have calmed my energy, or as she would say in, in the uh, movie with uh, Sylvester Stallone and the Three Shells and Wesley Snipes, and she would say, enhance your calm, officer, enhance your calm. When I enhance my calm, people are like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, nothing. I'm just trying not to be too much because too much is my natural state. And so I have, to, I have to chill for the world to be able to keep up. I know that sounds arrogant, but if you've ever seen me in my high-energy mode, it freaks most people out. So I I try to kind of bring it back, dial it back, make it comfortable for everybody else. And because that's true, I also find often that there are people who feel like when I'm quiet, they've done something wrong. When I am not full of energy and pep and bouncing off the walls and and acting like a ping-pong ball on a hardwood floor that somehow I've taken offense at something that they've done or said. I'm like, "No, it's it's none of the above. You haven't done anything wrong. I'm not mad. I'm not angry. Keep asking me and I might get that way, but I'm just trying to enhance my calm to not overwhelm the situation because my personality will take over an environment if I'm not judging and measuring everything that I do and say. I don't do that on purpose. It's just the way I'm made. I'm also an inventor. I'm also having new ideas all the time. You know what I really have my frustrations with? Doing every task. Because I have a lot of capabilities. I can edit video. I can produce the video. I can write the scripts. I can write the speeches. I can take the stage. I can run the camera. I can stand in front of the camera. I can do all of that. So figuring out where my role is in any given situation Sometimes as a misnomer, some people only see me as the guy behind the camera pushing the buttons, flipping the switches. Okay. Well, let me just ask you, on your team, have you ever considered the six types of working genius? Have you ever asked, are they doing what they're best at or are they just doing what they can do? Are they doing what they're best at are they doing only what I told them to do. Is there any chance that if I just took those two people and traded their roles, the six-inch screwdriver for the two-inch screwdriver, if I just traded their roles, that life would be better for them and productivity would be better for all of us? Would we operate at a higher level of excellence? Would would efficiency come back? Have Have we missed something because we've got people in the wrong role? Leaders who are unwilling to admit that they have weaknesses, that they have blind spots, that they have frustrations... Well, they're weak leaders. But in our world of leadership, don't let them see you sweat has become a mantra. Fake it until you make it has become a mantra. Ownership, accountability, responsibility, delegation, sometimes those are hard to come by. But if you're a leader who's willing to look in the mirror and go, I think somebody could do that better than me, then perhaps you should be willing to step back for a minute and go, Why don't you try that for a while and see how that works out? I'll step aside. I'll let you do it your way. Just, you know, do it. Let's see what happens. If you're better at it, we'll change roles. If you were willing to do that as a leader, how much better could your organization be? It might take an investment financially. It will definitely take an investment emotionally. It's going to take an investment in maturity. But if the better outcome the better course for your team, the productivity in those that you serve is worth anything. It's worth that. Consider those different types of working genius. And again, if you don't know what yours are, I recommend, I highly recommend StrengthsFinders 2.0. That is a great book. But I would also jump into the six types of working genius by Patrick Linchiani and and dig into who are you? What do you enjoy? Are you doing work? that doesn't suit you because you feel like you have to when there are people waiting in the wings to do it who would not only love it, but they would do it better than you. If that's the case, now's the time. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Morning. Is a master teacher on storytelling and I learned so much Um, I'm really gonna have to sit down and go back through everything and I think I might have to have some more coffees with Lauren but uh, it was totally worth my time and I really highly recommend it if you're looking to grow your ministry grow your business uh, grow your career Uh, Lauren will serve you well